So there's the tribulation revival, Revelation chapter 7. Questions, thoughts, comments, anybody? Jeff, wait, if you wouldn't mind, uh, hang on. We got uh, a mic coming, and I'm going to record the Q&A on this so people can keep up that can't be here live. Go ahead, Jeff. Uh, yes, the tribulation, uh, I'm sorry, the rapture, where we're raptured out. Um, I'm curious, and I've been asked this too, what about the children of the unsaved? They're innocent, do they get raptured out? Um, and what, what's what's going to be? Yeah, your so somebody just asked that like a week or two ago. What about the children uh, of the, what happens to the babies and the children at the rapture of the church? And here's a simple answer is the Bible doesn't give us an answer. So we can just speculate. We can take uh, an educated guess biblically. We can kind of connect some dots about uh, what we know scripturally. And uh, I would suggest that while a lot of us grew up in, uh, we would use the term the age of accountability. Did you ever hear a, you know, you know, your preacher talk about what happens to children that die before they come to that age where they understand their sin and their need for a Savior? Well, you know, that term age of accountability is not in the Scripture either. But it simply implies that knowing what we know about God's character, that he is indeed a God that is infinitely just and full of mercy, uh, that the blood of Jesus covers uh, children before they come to the age where they even understand their sin, where they're not accountable for their sin because they don't fully understand their sin. I think that would extend to you know, those who are uh, mentally handicapped that just don't have the intellectual ability to comprehend the gospel. What happens to them? What would go completely against the character of God who is infinitely just to send people like that to hell forever, right? And so I think um, we can also say that that would in some way extend, I think, personally, again, we don't know, but I would suggest that it extends to the rapture. And children, babies, who have had no opportunity to receive Jesus, don't understand their sin whatsoever, uh, I think they're going to be raptured too. I do. But we can't say specifically because the Bible doesn't say. What we do know is what happens to babies when they die. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 12, uh, David's baby died in infancy. The baby that he conceived with Bathsheba died at seven days age, which was very significant to the Jews because that Hebrew baby boy was circumcised on the eighth day. God took that baby on the seventh day. And what we know from 1 Samuel chapter 12 is David is lamenting the death of his child. He comforted himself by saying these words, he shall not return to me, but I shall go to him. And so uh, while the Bible doesn't say what happens to babies specifically, or certainly what happens to babies at the time of the rapture, we do have an example scripturally of uh, David's baby that went to heaven before he had any capacity to come to any belief whatsoever. So uh, I would suggest that's what happens at the rapture, which you can imagine the pandemonium uh, with tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of children disappearing instantly from homes all across the world. I mean, the cataclysm that will ensue from it. Um, but that's, you know, that's the best we can do with some of this, honestly, when the Bible doesn't say. Yeah, so is the age of accountability different for different people? I think that it absolutely is. You know, depending on, um, you know, a child and the home they've been brought up in and the parents that have taught them, you know, when is that moment where all of a sudden, 
Uh, God didn't just hold you accountable for knowing good and evil, right from wrong. A two-year-old can learn right from wrong. All right, He knows that when mama says I shouldn't touch the vase, I'm doing wrong if I touch the vase. But that's, having, that's a different knowledge altogether than the knowledge of sin. Your knowledge of sin has to do when you understand this isn't just behavior modification. Mom said I shouldn't touch the vase and I got my hand slapped. Uh, knowledge of sin come. The age of accountability is when you know you are accountable before a holy God. That you have sinned before God. That is when that age of accountability emerges. So, you know, for one child it might be four or five or six. For another it might be 10 or 11 or 12. But there's some point along the way when God knows the heart of that human being. And their eyes are now open to the truth. And uh, though they know they are in need of redemption, they're willingly now in some way rejecting God's offer of uh, salvation. And by, God, by the way, this, this discussion leads to all kinds of places. Well, what about the people, you know, in those tribal areas, those remote areas of the world that never have heard the name of Jesus? And this is normally, you know, what the skeptics and the antagonists of Christianity, you know, people today don't argue against the existence of God because you can't prove God doesn't exist. So they argue today against the goodness of God or the justice of God. Well, that's not fair that God would send people to hell that have never heard the name of Jesus. They've never heard the gospel. And guess what? Paul takes up that argument in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, he says they are without excuse. You know why? Romans 1.20 says that God himself in the creation of the things that he has made has revealed the invisible attributes about himself the things that, that they can't see. And the implication is this, that if they would simply respond to the limited amount of truth they have already, and God has put a limited amount of revelation in the heart of every human being already, a God consciousness, a God awareness, and then he's written more revelation in creation, if they would simply respond to the amount of revelation they have, no matter how limited, God would give them yet more revelation and then yet more revelation if they just say yes to that revelation until they had enough revelation to finally be saved. And that's why he says in Romans 1.20, everyone will be without excuse. Nobody will be able to stand before God someday and say, but God, I didn't know. I didn't have a chance. God's promising every person will have a chance. And we could take that discussion all kinds of places. You know, there's a doctrine uh, that I think is a distorted view of election that says elect babies go to heaven, non-elect babies go to hell. All right? That is the Westminster Confession. And there are godly people that love Jesus that really believe that. Like it's a, what I think is a hyper view of election and predestination. But they would argue, well, some babies do and some babies don't. And uh, if you're one of the elect ones, you do. And if you're not one of the elect, then, well, it's too bad for you. Uh, and that's, that's a theology that I, I don't personally believe, but that's how some Christians would answer that question, Jeff. And uh, so, you betcha. Yeah, in the back, and then we'll come up here to Denise, okay? Hey, just a quick question on uh, in Second Thessalonians uh, two that you you talked about a little you bit. You bet. Um, it talks about how the Antichrist can't be revealed um, 
until that which is holding him back mm -hmm. allows him to. And I know he's revealed three and a half years into the tribulation. Um, and so I guess it's kind of a, a timing of the rapture type of a question. Yep, sure. So I don't know that, um, I, I, don't, I think he's revealed before the three and a half years. So on a timeline, we can give kind of a general timeline of events, but what we can't really do is give specific details of when things are going to happen. We can say generally they're going to happen in this order, but we can't say emphatically, you know, with precision, the timeline. Uh, it's three and a half year point where he goes into the temple, proclaims himself to be God, and is worshipped as God. I do think he's revealed before that time. And so the general timeline Paul gives us here is that first there's the falling away. And as I said in the video, I'm convinced we're living at the time of the falling away. The, the great apostasy is upon us already. Now, we know we haven't seen nothing yet because when we get to the tribulation religion of Revelation 17, John sees a church that he calls a harlot. Okay, the church is the virgin bride of Christ. What would a harlot church be? She has prostituted the truth, hasn't she? Understand, the tribulation religion is not a false religion. Uh, it's a church that indeed is a woman, but she's not a virgin. And she's a prostitute. She's prostituted paganism and false religion with true Christian doctrine. That's the end times religion the church in the tribulation. And so already, we're seeing the beginning of that, guys. We're already seeing that. As I said, 80% of American churches don't believe in biblical inerrancy. The Bible is not the final authority. So we're already entering into that time of apostasy, aren't we? Uh, so we're, we're living in a time where that falling away is already happening. Uh, it's one thing to talk about, well, I'm a Baptist or a Presbyterian or I'm a Methodist or she's a Lutheran. Here's the deal, though. There was a time where every denomination fundamentally believed the same things as it pertained to the foundational doctrines of the historic Christian faith. Denominationalism really came over the, the secondary doctrines, not the fundamental doctrines. But now that's not true. The problem with the church in America is not simply that we disagree on the nuances of theology and the peripheral issues theologically, but all of a sudden uh, there's, there's a question now on the fundamental foundational doctrines like, gee, is this the word of God or is it not? That's pretty foundational, isn't it? Like, is Jesus the only way or is he just maybe one of many ways? All right? So we're already living in that time of the falling away. So Paul says that's going to come first. And then what happens? The restrainer is removed. And currently the restrainer is here, restraining the spirit of Antichrist. Uh, the restrainer being the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God lives within the people of God. But what happens when the church of God is removed? When the true church is removed, guess what else is removed too? The Spirit of God goes too. And all of a sudden, the restrainer that is currently restraining the spirit of Antichrist is all of a sudden removed, and here's the deal. As quickly as you may think our world today is in decay, you ain't seen nothing yet. Because if the people of God, filled with the spirit of God, holding up the word of God, were suddenly removed, we're talking about absolutely unrestrained evil. We're talking about an unrestrained moral decay. 
So with the rapture of the church, the restrainer is moved. And then what does it say? Then it says, then the son of perdition is revealed, this lawless one. Remember what John says in his epistle. Uh, You've heard the Antichrist is coming. He says, even now, many Antichrists have come. And so uh, any, any, any Antichrist is anyone who's against Christ, who is speaking against the deity and the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we already live with the spirit of Antichrist here, don't we? Uh, But there's coming a day, he says, a person, not merely the spirit, but the person himself will come. And we do know, according to Daniel 9, 27, uh, he will broker that peace treaty with Israel and her enemies, allowing them as a part of that peace treaty to rebuild the temple, which even now, if you go on the Holy Land tour, uh, you will find Orthodox Jews in Israel who are even now praying at the Wailing Wall that God would one day send the Messiah and that they would be allowed to rebuild their temple. And we know that that's exactly what's going to happen because according to Daniel 9.27, halfway through, midway through the week, he will cause the sacrifices to cease. What does that mean? He will ban the Jewish religious system. And all of a sudden, that's when the great tribulation ensues. It will be a holocaust. Jesus said the world has never before seen or will ever see again. And that is when the abomination of desolation is the great sign midway through when the Antichrist goes into the temple, proclaims himself to be God, demands to be worshipped as God, and according to Revelation chapter 13, under penalty of death. And so that gives us kind of a general timeline. But, you know, will it happen a month after the rapture? Will it happen a year after the rapture? Uh, We don't know for sure specifically details. I've told you before, I think the battle of Gog and Magog, Ezekiel 38, happens after the rapture, where Israel's enemies in an Arab-Russian coalition march on Israel. I think it happens after the rapture because the enemies of Israel won't currently march on Israel because they know the cavalry is coming. Now, if the U.S. is neutralized by the rapture, and it will be, I mean, the downfall of the U.S. as we know it will be the rapture. And all of a sudden, we are neutralized as a world superpower, militarily, economically, politically. Israel's enemies will then see their opportunity. That's the battle of Gog and Magog. And out of the mayhem that will come as God miraculously delivers them will emerge a world leader to bring peace in the Middle East. The perfect geopolitical scenario, having been vacated by the U.S., that world superpower, somebody will step in where the U.S. once led. Does that make sense? Once again, guys, this is speculation. I mean, we can't say with absolute precision. We're just filling in some blanks here and connecting some dots. It's a great question. What else, somebody? Yeah. Hang on just a minute, George. Pat's on the way. I'm looking at the clock because we got a prayer and praise service starting In about 25 minutes, I want to be there for that. (laughs) Yeah, George. Um, On the uh, people who don't accept Christ before uh, he comes back, not being able to be saved, um, you know, I've I've understood it, or at least read and understood it somewhat differently at times as far as uh, it would be very difficult to be, but those who endure till the end can be saved. Those who accept the mark will all be thrown in the lake of fire with him. Uh, and obviously it's going to be hard for those who uh, are in that time not to believe the, you know, 
false signs and all the things. But those who, you know, reject that at that point, uh, however many there would be uh, that don't accept the Antichrist, don't take the mark of the Antichrist, uh, could still be saved at that point, even as you were talking about, you know, there is no excuse, you know, God has shown to all men in the creation. Well, like I said, uh, you know, Tim LaHaye and other theologians have argued that anyone can be saved in the tribulation. But again, I just appeal to what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 2. What did he say? He said, because they held the truth in unrighteousness, they will be sent strong delusion. They will be damned because they believe not the truth but held it in a righteousness. So, George, I think the implication is that if you had the truth ahead of time but held it in unrighteousness, in other words, you rejected God's offer of salvation with your eyes wide open, you will be sent strong delusion. You will believe a lie is what it says. We're not sure what the lie is. Uh, I think that, you know, I've shared before what I think it is. I don't know for sure what it is, but there's going to be a lie propagated so believable that those who knew the truth ahead of time but rejected it will believe it. And uh, they're not going to have opportunity. They can't be saved. They won't be saved. And that's, I think, what Paul is teaching, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 which means the worldwide revival, quite frankly, it's going to be in places like Asia where the gospel hasn't gone. It's going to be in places throughout the Middle East, in many cases where people have never really understood who Jesus is, if they've heard his name at all. Places like the U.S. of A., where the gospel's gone out for generation after generation after generation, where people, frankly, are inoculated against it. They've heard it so many times. Revival's not going to happen here. Revival's going to happen there, but I don't think it's happening here, which ought to cause all of us, quite frankly, to make sure, are we certain, uh, that, uh, that we're walking in truth, because uh, I think the scripture is really emphatic, it's really clear, and the tough truth is that not everyone will be saved. Here's the deal, even now, guys, you don't get saved whenever you want to. Jesus said, no one comes to me except my Father in heaven draw them. I've already told you, I'm not by definition a Calvinist that believes we have no free will. Quite frankly, free will isn't free, that God's already chosen who will and who won't. If you're not one of the chosen, tough on you. I'm not that guy. There are godly people who believe that. I'm not not trying to be divisive over some of these issues, but here's the point. Uh, the reality is the other end of the spectrum theologically, Arminianism, that is completely free will. I come when I want. I can leave when I want. That's not true either. There's God's part, and then there's our part. Nobody comes to Christ except the Spirit of God begin drawing them. And only once the Spirit of God is drawing them do you have the ability to come to Him. Because apart from the Spirit of God... You would never, ever, in your own free will, exclusively, come to faith in the Son of God. And so uh, here's the point. With the Spirit of God is drawing, you better make your move. Because there's no guarantee He's going to keep drawing. Uh, how, how, many, how many chances does God have to give one? You know, I mean, yeah, just one. <laughs> Maybe God will give you more, but He doesn't have to. What else? Somebody else? Anybody? Got time for one more if you want. Yeah. 
um, and perhaps you covered this uh, last Sunday or on the recording. Uh, I didn't get a chance to see it, but um, Revelation 7, the first three verses, um, I was reading through it earlier and just was hoping maybe you could elaborate a little bit on kind of what's happening there just with the angels and the four winds of the sure. earth. Sure, okay. Revelation 7. So, Matt, this was the video we did a week ago. It's still online. The, all of these will be online for a long, long time to come if you miss one. Revelation 7 and verse 1. Hang on. I was in Romans. It's the other R one. Okay. Revelation 7, verse 1. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. So what is happening here in chapter 7 is a little parenthetical chapter. And the book of Revelation is written, I've told you, not linearly, but rather, I think, in layers. And so God is giving us greater depth and detail with each chapter. And so it really shouldn't be written chronologically or read chronologically. Chapter 7 is a parenthetical chapter where God is giving us a little parentheses to help us understand what is going on in the middle of this cataclysm, in the middle of this worldwide destruction. Here's chapter 7, parentheses. God is also bringing worldwide revival, and it's going to begin with 12,000 Jews from each of the 12 tribes. 144,000 Jews miraculously received Jesus as their Messiah. It'll be the fulfillment of the Joel 2 prophecy, uh, where he says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your young men will dream dreams, and your old men will have visions, and it's going to be miraculous conversions, according to Joel chapter 2, where all of a sudden, 144,000 Jews wake up spiritually, their eyes are open, the veil is lifted, and they realize, my word, we've been praying for the Messiah to come, and he done did. We crucified him 2,000 years ago. Jesus is the fulfillment of those prophecies. And what happens in the first three verses here, God is describing how that goes down. God is about to open up these judgments upon the world, and he says to the angels, before you do that, I want you to seal 144,000 of those that I've called by my name. Now, just like today, as a child of God, you have the seal of the Spirit of God already. Remember, Satan is a counterfeiter of all that God is and all that God does. God has a mark, so guess what? Revelation 13, Satan has a mark. He marks his own already. According to Ephesians 1.13, Ephesians 4.30, Grieve not the Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. The implication of that seal was an ancient king's signet ring. He had a seal with which he would seal official letters and state documents. He's the only one that had the seal. It was his mark. And what Paul is teaching there is that as a child of God, he's already sealed you with his mark. You've got a mark on your life. It can't be seen in the physical realm. I'm convinced it's a real mark that can be seen in the spiritual realm. Uh, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of God, right? So what happens here in Revelation 7, God once again, look, I've got 144,000 Jews. I want you to seal them. They're mine. That one is mine. I'm putting my mark on that one. He's mine. Because later what happens there's going to be a judgment from the bottomless pit. 
And these demonic-like beings are going to go forth tormenting the nations. And they are going to give the power. They have the power to torment but not kill. And guess what? They cannot touch, they cannot torment those that have the seal of God upon their foreheads. So God is in the first three verses of Revelation 7, sealing those 144,000. The mark of God is upon them, representing these are the people of God. And he's about to call out the Jews once again to himself, preparing them for their Messiah. That's it. Hey guys, about 15 minutes. We're going to start over there. The service is going to be one hour. I encourage you to come over there with us. We're going to pray. Uh, we're going to praise. We're going to worship. We're going to launch this week of prayer and fasting. And uh, so uh, I love you all very much. I'm so thankful for you. I'll see you back here next week for the well. And uh, hopefully I'll see you over there here in just a few minutes. God bless you all. Next week is Easter. Next week is Easter. So don't come here at 4.30. I will not be here. You can come if you want, but I won't, okay? Thank you, Mark. Still in your hands, this is my comfort.